for watching. And of course, subscribe. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Haunting Live Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in on this beautiful day. Uh, it's been a great weekend here so far. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend wherever you guys are, uh, including the time change that we had uh, this weekend. So the days will be getting longer, which is great. Uh, but thank you guys so much for following us over on social media, on our Facebook page, where we keep posting everything for you guys. Also on our um, Instagram, we're on Instagram and Twitter as well. So don't forget to follow us over there. And of course, you can listen to us on the podcast apps later on, like Spotify, iTunes, and so on. So we're pretty much on all the podcast apps. But today, we are trying something a little bit different here for the podcast. We have Chris joining us here live on... Hey, everyone. We do hope you enjoy this, actually, uh, episode today. We do actually have a great, actually, uh, guest, actually, though, that's going to be actually on just in a bit. Yeah, we do have a guest booked in here today. He's waiting here for us, and we'll bring him on in just a moment. His name is Sean Leonard, host of Spirit Talker on APTN Show. So we're looking forward to having him on and talking to him about what he does as a medium and uh, other things he does in his life regarding the paranormal. So uh, with that, let's actually just bring him right on and uh, see how he's doing. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm really well. How about you, Chris? And Trevor, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm doing quite fine. Kind of backwards, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're Trevor and you're Chris. Yeah, Trevor yeah. and Chris. Normally, it's just Trevor hosting, but uh, today yeah. we have two here today, so it is a bit confusing. But um, thank you so much for taking your time out and joining us here on Haunting Life Podcast. We really appreciate you uh, being here as our guest this week. Well, again, thank you for having me on as a guest. And uh, so, what would you like to talk about? Uh, first of all, let's uh, discuss how you got into the field. Like way back in the beginning, what um, drew you into becoming a medium? Well, I think we're all born psychic. I think we're all connected to spirit. We're all spirit having a human experience. I think it started for me. I don't. I, I believe that there um, there's a path for all of us in life. And I feel this path for myself has been kind of unfolding. Um, since I was a little boy, and it's just continuing to unfold even today. And uh, it's been a, an amazing experience, an amazing uh, adventure, and uh, I'm still learning. I don't know everything that is that unfolds in my life. I, uh, you know, as I invite spirit into my life all the time, I, I still like to have new experiences and, and learn from those experiences and share them to the best of my ability when I do learn. But when I, when I was young, um, just a young boy, I mean, I was always had people around me. It, the, the main person that I had around me was my this friend that I had. His name was Sam. And I used to play with him and talk to him. And he was like my best buddy. And um, I probably around four years old, maybe close to five. Um, he said, Sean, you know, I'm going to have to go, but I'm always going to be with you, but you're not going to be able to hear or see me anymore. And he was like a, you know, six foot, uh, something uh, curly, dirty, blonde hair, blue-eyed fellow with wearing a long white robe. And and I always would tell my mom about what Sam says, and she'd get mad at me about what Sam said and did and all this, But and um, which made for great arguments between me and my mom. But he, after he said, you know, I have to go, this huge white light opened, and he just kind of walked into it and, and was gone. And I cried. I remember crying for like a whole day, like, you know, where did my best friend go? Like, where did... I couldn't understand this concept where he just would disappear or leave me. And I felt alone. 
And, uh, and, and I would say he's my first friend, probably still my, my very good friend in spirit. Uh, as I believe now, he is my spiritual guide. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. And I think a lot of people when you're young, uh, I bet you there's a lot of people out there that have imaginary friends. It's not just me, myself, but and maybe some people remember them leaving or maybe some people don't. But I believe that they're, we play with somebody, there's somebody with us, uh, working with us, guiding us through life, you know, since we're a little child. And as I grew, um, you know, I didn't understand, um, you know, being a young boy, you learn as you go, right? Um, but, you know, living and non-living, you know, physical to non-physical. And I think the first uh, loss that I've ever experienced was uh, my great-grandparents, of course, you know, being so old and such like this, right? And um, after they passed, I would often see them in my room. I would actually often hear them in my room and they would be there talking to each other. And I couldn't really make out what they were saying. They were kind of whispering all the time, but I knew it was them. And I did feel frightened, but also I felt comfort in a sense that they were there. And, uh, and I told my mom, I said, you know, Nan and Pop are here visiting me in the room. And she says, well, that's good. That's just because they love you. And, and I thought, okay, this is awesome. You know, my, my great grandparents are here, but it happened so often. I, I kind of grew tired of it. And it was around three o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up. And I could see them, the silhouettes of them in the room. I couldn't really make out their, their full features, but I could tell it was them from memory. And again, they were talking. And, and, and after some time, I just felt like, you know, why are they with me? Why are they continuing to speak and talk in my room? And, um, and then as I was thinking this as a young boy, I would always pretend I was asleep too, because I didn't want to know I was listening to them. And, um, and I remember them walking around my room close to me. And then somebody ran their fingers through my hair. And it, I was like startled because I didn't know that they could actually touch me because I thought they were just in my room talking and, and you know, loving me from, from the other side of the room. I didn't know they could actually physically um, touch my hair. And uh, so I, you know, I was praying at that point. I said, you know, please let it be mom. Please let it be mom. And I pulled down my sheets and uh, my mom wasn't in the room and my door was shut. And uh, I didn't see them, mind you, but I, I know I did a backflip off my bed. It was in my mom's room. And I said, Mom, I don't care if they love me. They got to go because I can't, they can't, you know, they, she ran her fingers through my hair. I was like panicked. And she says, well, again, they just love you. And I said, that, well, that's great. She says, well, just tell them to go. Just tell them that you're not comfortable with them being around you. And I'm like, okay. I, I never, ever thought about that. So I, I spoke to them. I spoke to my grandparents, my great grandparents out loud. I said, Nan and Pop, I, I love you, but you know, you're scaring me. I, I don't, I don't want you to visit me in this way anymore. And, uh, and that was it. I never have actually seen or felt them again in that form in my entire life. Even up till today, I've not had that, that connection again with them. And I actually feel like, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, there, and there's different levels of energy, right? There's absolutely different levels of energy. And, and I learned this at a young boy as well, because I knew there was people that were coming with love and light and they were visiting and you can call and whether they're your ancestors, like your great grandparents or a mom or dad or uncle or, or whoever that is spending or visiting you, right? Um, at one point, I remember there was a little boy down the hill and his name was David. And he was a, a bit of a friend too. This is about seven or eight now. And, uh, and I used to go play with him, but he was always sick. So I wasn't always allowed to play with him. And he had, I think he had leukemia from my recollection. But, um, and I'd always ask my mom, can I go down and play with David? And she goes, well, no, he's not doing so well today. You, you shouldn't go down. And then I heard David had passed away. 
And uh, one of the things I could do at will when I was a young boy was I could travel around my neighborhood. I could go to sleep and I could actually step out of my body and I could go anywhere where I wanted in my neighborhood. And I could actually fly sometimes, which was the coolest thing. And I could like, uh, you know, I wouldn't go too far because I, I didn't really know where I was. So I would just fly typically above the telephone poles. And I'd, and uh, as I got older and older, I, I then couldn't fly as much. I was more earthbound. I was more grounded to the earth. And I remember running down my hill in Elmsdale, Nova Scotia, where I grew up and flapping my arms, hoping I was going to get some, like get, get lifted up into the, into the air. And, uh, and after David had passed, I said, well, mom, because like my grandparents used to visit me, I told mom, I said, mom, I'm going to go down and look for him in his house. And she said, I don't know how you're going to do that, but uh, you go ahead. So um, sure enough, one night after he passed, I, I fell asleep and, and I walked down the hill. I didn't fly and I went into his home, which seemed vacant, which was so odd because I know his parents still live there and they had furniture and, you know, and, and I was expecting because David had now transitioned from this physical form to spirit. I thought I was going to find him. So I looked through the whole house for David and I couldn't find him anywhere. I went downstairs, I went in every closet, I went everywhere through the house and nowhere could I find David. And then I, I came back home, I woke up and I told my mom, I said, mom, I said, David isn't there. And she goes, well, that's because he's moved on into the light or he's moved on to heaven. That would be her word that she was raised Catholic, right? And I didn't understand this concept. Where is this space or place that was higher energy vibration that some people call heaven, some people call the other side or you know, some people call, you know, the angel realm, whatever it may be. I mean, there's a higher level energy that I wasn't able to kind of at will go to. But yet I was in a place in spirit form outside of my physical body, walking around my neighborhood myself. Right. And I, you know, that, so we're all spirit having a human experience. So when I was young, I could at will leave my body into the astral world, which is a lower level energy than the higher level of energy, the other side. And, uh, and I explored that for, for a long time. And that's when I first realized there was levels of energy. Some I could easily connect to and some I couldn't. And um, I remember one night walking out or, or leaving um, my, my body again when I was a young boy and I would go out into my yard. It was just out of my driveway. And I, and I looked up and there's this woman who I swear looked like Mary Poppins, but she had like an umbrella and an old period dress uh, style of uh, dress on. And she was floating above the telephone poles. And I said, excuse me, because she's the first person I've seen here in like, I've never seen anyone else in this place. So I tried to talk to her and, uh, and she wouldn't even speak to me. She just snubbed her nose at me and kept on flying. <laughs> And I was like, this is so strange, but she felt like she was from a different time. Now today, as I grow older and uh, mature in my life, I realized that she was probably more earthbound. And there was not a lot of spirits that were earthbound. She, in my neighborhood, she was just one of those, but there might be several others because I didn't venture far from my home. But then I knew there was definitely a level of energy and, and those people in that level of energy, there is no time. So when they had passed or when they had transitioned, you know, however they appeared in that time, they lose a sense of like how the world is changing around them. 
but I was able to perceive the spirit in that space and place. And she, you know, I've never seen her again. And uh, I wish I would actually, but you know, and as I'm, as I grew older, you know, that was just when I was young and I was already learning about levels of energy uh, and it wasn't doing it like, you know, it wasn't reading books. There was nothing on the internet. There was no internet. I was like, you know, we didn't even really have a library. I had a bus with that was called the bookmobile that would come up to the hill once a month and I could get whatever books. And there was really nothing on ghosts or spirits or anything. But I was always looking because I, as I experienced these things, I was intrigued about what was happening, what was around me, what was, you know, what was this? And there was really no information back then for, for me to find. And, uh, and then as I, as I grew older in life and I had many different spiritual experiences, uh, you know, the first next big thing that would have happened to me was uh, my dad passed away and it was 15 years old. It was October 17th, 1987. And I remember my mom abruptly waking me up uh, saying, Sean, wake up. There's something wrong with your father. He's out of the driveway. Go help him. I'm going to call 911. So I wake up, I'm in my underwear, it's October, it's cold at that time. And um, I go out to look for my father in the driveway, but I couldn't find him. I was so puzzled, you know, I was half asleep, mind you, and probably in shock about what my mom had just told me. But I ran back in the house and I said, mom, I don't know where dad is. I see his tr truck out there, it's running, the door's open. Uh, and my dad was in the Navy and he was getting used to get up at 5 a.m. to go to work. And uh, so anyway, she says, just go out and check. She's on the phone calling people. I go out again, still couldn't see my father. And I said, mom, he's not there. He must've got up and left. So she physically grabs me, takes me out there, points me at my dad. And then I could see him. And I don't know why. I don't think I was meant to find him. Maybe it was shocked that I wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't because I've never really experienced physical death in that way before. I wasn't mentally prepared to see something like this. And to me, it was like blank. It was invisible. It was just not able for me to see or spirit made it so that I couldn't do anything to change the circumstances. Because I feel like we all have a purpose in life. We have a time to be here, a time to go home. You know, we have, we have a journey through life that we all meant to take, but I wasn't meant to change that journey for my father. And, you know, many minutes had gone by. And then when I was, when I did see my dad, I mean, he was face down. I rolled him over and uh, I started performing CPR. And uh, I, I knew a little bit about CPR because I was a boy scout. Um, you know, I went through Beavers, Cubs and Scouts and they taught us CPR. We took a class on St. John's Ambulance. And here you never think that you're ever going to have to use this in any, any way for anyone. Um, and here I'm doing this with my dad. And, uh, I, you know, after probably like, it seemed like an eternity of trying to resuscitate my father, I could feel he wasn't there. Like I could feel his body was just a shell. It was just empty. There was no aura. There was no vibration. There was no spirit. There was nobody in this form. And then I started speaking to him. I started speaking a lot. I said, you know, dad, I can, I could feel like he was there somewhere, but not in his body. And I cursed at my dad. I swore at my dad. I said, dad, if you can hear me, get back in here, get back. I know you can hear me, get back in. And then I prayed to God. I said, God, please loud, you know, please help my dad bring his spirit back to his body. And, um, and then I felt it was hopeless. I just felt this sense of like, my dad is not coming back. And it was really hard. 
it was really hard. Uh, I failed my high school grade. I, I dropped out for the rest of the year. Um, and it, I actually failed the next two grades actually, because it was just like, so, so hard on me. And it was a year after my dad passed pretty much almost close to the date. And I, I was sleeping downstairs in my, on my basement couch or in my mom's rec room. And the reason why, and now I'm 16 years old, mind you, I've grown my hair quite long. I play guitar now. And, and, uh, so I used to sleep downstairs mostly because I could sneak out of the, the room downstairs and come back later. And my mom went, no, I was gone. But, you know, even though my mom was struggling, you know, I was still trying to live my life. And I, I, I started, you know, I won't say getting in trouble, but I used to do some today. I mean, marijuana is legal, but back in the day, marijuana wasn't so legal. And I would be out smoking, smoking weed with my friends. I, I don't smoke weed anymore and I have nothing against it because it is medicine. But, uh, but when I was young, I would do that. So I had slipped out in, you know, uh, of the room and came back probably one or, one or so o'clock in the morning, went to sleep. And again, three o'clock in the morning, uh, I, I had a, the experience that I had when I was a child. I stepped out of my body and I was in the astral plane again. I was in the astral world. And uh, even though I was in this plane, I could look across my rec room. I could see my body sleeping on the couch. And I looked across the room and there was just like enormous white light. And, I, and it was like the brightest, whitest light I've ever seen. It reminds me of the light when I saw Sam when he left me uh, as a young boy. And this light got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then as it grew larger enough, to, just large enough for a person to walk out, out of this light walked my father. And my dad was like glowing. He had this light behind him. He was wearing a long white robe. And he looked good. He looked healthy. He looked younger because my dad liked to have a few beers and he smoked and he didn't eat so good sometimes, hence dying of a heart attack in the driveway. And uh, and as I saw him, I was like, the first thing I thought is, oh, my God, Dad, what the hell are you wearing? Because, <laughs> you know, you don't expect your dad to. You know, my dad was a hunter. You know, he's like a man's man. Like he just why are you wearing a white robe? And, and then it quickly, uh, it switched to anger because I was angry with my father. I said, dad, yeah, you know, and I didn't even have to say anything. He knew what I had, what was thinking. He says, Sean, calm down. I said, okay. I, okay. He goes, I need, I'm only here for a short time and I have to tell you a few things. He says, I have to tell you that everything happens for a reason. And it was my time to go. And there was nothing you could have ever done to change that. He said, me and you had this plan before you, both of us were born that I would leave your life at this point. I said, why would we make such a silly plan? Like, why would we do this? Like, why would we plan that you would leave my life? He says, because in order for you to become the person that you're meant to be, I can't be part of it. And I couldn't understand it. He goes, and I'm also with the one that was meant to share the light again. And I'm like, okay. And as soon as he talked about it, this light that was behind him, all I could think about, and when I saw it, I knew it was home. I knew this is where we come from. This is our true home. This, this world, it was like now the matrix to me. It was like something I could have discarded in a second in a waste basket and left because I had no care about my body, my mom, my brother. I would have left everything in that, that day in a, in a blink of an eye. And he said, you know, Sean, you can't go here. I'm like, why? 
He goes, because if you come here, you're not going to want to come back. I'm like, dad, I'll come back. I'll come back. He says, no, you won't. I said, I'll just go for a visit. I'll come right back. He's no, you can't go here. If you come here, you, you will not want to leave. Trust me. You have to stay here. It's part of your plan. It's part of your life. The reason why you're here is to being here. I'm like, okay. I said, I'll just, just go for a second. He said, no. He says, I need to tell you a couple other things. Make sure you tell your mom I'm okay. Make sure you tell your brother I'm okay. I'm like, I will. And he says, remember, the greatest gift of love I could ever give you was to leave my life so that you could become the person that you are and never forget that. I'm like, okay. And then he touched me in the head and I woke up on the couch. And I was like, what? And I woke up and, and, I, and I, I was speechless. And I was kind of excited too because, you know, I saw my dad. And he looked good. And I and so I went back to sleep and I woke up in the morning and, and I and I told my mom, I said, Mom, you know, I saw dad last night. He came to me in this this dream and he came out of this enormous white light. He was wearing the long white robe and he wanted me to make sure I tell you that he's okay. And then and I thought my mom would be happy, right? But she was really pissed off because she said, What the hell did he come for, did visit you and not me for? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, mom. But uh, I mean, he, it seemed like I, he needed to connect to me. And, uh, and I didn't know about what he meant, like that his leaving my life and what it was meant to entail and him showing me the light, uh, having that experience. And, and, and he also said, I'd be helping people one day. And I had no clue about how the hell that was all supposed to unfold. I said, how am I supposed to help people? He says, really, you don't really do have to do anything. It's just going to happen. I'm like, okay, whatever. It sounded like gibberish. It sounded like Yoda telling you something on Star Wars, and you think it's just like gibberish, and just it means something later, right? And uh, so anyway, I, I went about my life, uh, moved out to Calgary, Alberta. Uh, I, I met a person, had a couple of beautiful two daughter children who were over my my shoulder here, um, Mackenzie and Sienna, and. Uh, and then things started to unfold in my life in a way that I became very sensitive, you know, emotionally, but also sensitive to people's energy. Uh, I felt things about people. I, I knew things about people that I did, shouldn't know. Uh, I didn't like purposefully like walk into somewhere going, hmm, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're doing in their life. It would just like come to me. I'm like, oh my God. And, uh, so I started to then uh, tell my ex-wife now, um, who still lives in Calgary. I live in Nova Scotia, Canada right now. And uh, so I would tell her, I would go to her workplace. She worked at, at Montana's Cookhouse. Uh, and I used to go visit her mostly because I was getting free food. But I would go there and visit her. And I would, and then I would just sit there and vibe people out. Like, oh, my God, you know, this, this person, that person that she worked with. And so we were done and we were driving home and I'm telling her, I'm like, well, you know, that guy's a drug dealer, right? <laughs> that, that guy's like stealing money. Like I can feel he's stealing money from Montana's and, uh, and those, that, those, that guy and girl, I saw them look at each other. I know they're cheating together and they're married to different people. Right. And she goes, no, you're crazy. You're absolutely freaking crazy. I know those people. They're like, Good people, they don't look at each other. I see them all the time. That guy's married. His dad's a minister, for God's sakes. He's not stealing money, or and that guy's not dealing drugs. And um, 
and I said, and she goes, you know, what, you know, what made you think about this with these people? I'm like, I just don't know. I just a vibe. And I just brushed it off anyway, because I didn't really seriously think that I might be right. I was just like, it was kind of fun. So I told her and, and, and she got angry. And then within a week, maybe a week and a half, she caught the couple kissing in the kitchen. The guy got fired for stealing money and the guy was busted for drugs. <laughs> and then she come home and she goes, how did you know that? I'm like, I didn't really know it. It just came to me. She goes, well, and then she went to her work and she started to talk to people about what I had said. And she worked with another person, uh, a great, incredible, nice person who's also an author out in the world. Jen Syme was her name. I changed it in my own book, but, uh, and I even changed the restaurant. I said it was Tim Hortons, but, uh, cause I had to do that to, to protect people in the book. Right. But uh, anyhow, she wanted to come visit me and they all thought, okay, I might be psychic. And, uh, and I, and I didn't know this, but they had planned that I would have dinner with Jen on Sunday and then I would read her and then I would just like, whatever. So, you know, Friday night, you know, my, my ex is saying, you know, Hey, just want you to know Jen's coming over on Sunday. You're going to be doing reading for her. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm doing a reading for Jen. She goes, yeah, yeah, I just want you to vibe out. Just do what you did at the restaurant. She's pretty open. I mean, just see what happens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, but nothing's going to happen because I'm really not a psychic or anything like that. And she goes, just do it. Just do it. So I was like, okay, well, this is like, what, I mean, what have you got to lose? So she comes over and we have dinner and after, you know, I'm connecting to her. And I'm, I'm telling her some vague things that I think are vague. You know, I said, oh, Jen, I said, you know, I think you're you're going to write a book and you know, I think you're going to meet some guy named Dale and that you're going to be like traveling around the world, going to different places and things like this. And maybe looking after the homes and such like this. And I said, uh, and then I connected to her. Like I thought she goes, you know, is my grandma around? And I'm like, well, I, you know, your grandma, you know, and I'd say different things. I don't know exactly what I said. And she's, but there's someone else I want to talk to. I'm like, well, I mean, this is all I got. I mean, I don't know anything else. And then something popped into my head. And just to give you kind of like, an, and you could call it clairvoyance. I didn't know what clairvoyance was. I didn't even have the words or the vocabulary to describe what was happening. Um, but I saw an image in my mind very quickly just pop into my head. And I saw a man wearing a baseball uniform. He had a number on his shirt. And I saw a shed. And he had took a baseball in his hand. He was bouncing up and down in his hand. He looked at me, walked into a shed, and then the door shut. I'm like, Wow. What the heck is that? And I, I actually was like so skeptical of what I had saw that I wasn't even going to say it at all. So I said, Jen, I don't know what this is, but you know what? I mean, this is just for fun anyway, but do you know a guy that used to play baseball? She goes, that's the person I'm here to connect to. I said, he was both. I'm just going to tell you what he, I saw with this, but he was wearing a baseball uniform. He had a number on, bouncing the baseball, and he walked into a shed and the door shut. And I saw tears coming down her face. Because that was my best friend growing up in high school. And one night after a baseball game, he went home and he killed himself in that shed. And I've always wanted to know if he's okay. I've always wanted to know if he made it to where he needed to be. And at that point, I didn't even know I could really answer that question. I just said, I mean, if I'm hearing him, I'm seeing him, I'm seeing things, I'm, he must be fine. That's all I could really come up with. But I shocked myself. Because I didn't, 
I, I haven't gone for training. I haven't gone to learn anything. I've had experiences my whole life, but I never thought I was, I was even kind of sketchy if this was even all real at first, because I was even like thinking was that I did, is this just like some weird thing that I made up growing up? Right. And, um, but that shifted my whole perception. I thought maybe there's some truth to this. And uh, then I decided to, and she told the person and they told two people. And actually, you know, I've got people coming to me and I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Did I, did I, I just trusted. And I, and then things started to kind of like come to me more. I started to see things. I hear things. I would know things. It would just, it would just flow to me. And, uh, and it was like very profound. And it, that, then I thought about what my dad said, you know, I mean, this is crazy. Like what the hell? And and I thought, well, maybe this is what my dad meant. And he said it would just happen. I didn't have to search for it. It would just like come to me. And, uh, you know, ever since that day and that time, I, I mean, I feel like I could say it's like there's so many sequences of events. There's not just one. It's, it's, there's one experience that may give you the confidence to step into the, to the realm of unknown or trying to understand spirit or things like that. But there's been numerous little things through my whole life that have brought me to where I am today and the understanding that I have and the knowledge that I've learned and gained. And it's, it sent me out into this like incredible adventure of learning who we are as a spirit and then reconnecting to the different levels of energy, whether it's the physical world realm, the astral world to the other side and the light and, and, and being able to understand the difference between where levels of energy and spirit go. And, uh, and I've done like paranormal investigations myself and I was part of a paranormal group way back in the day. And I, and I, and I learned more and more things happened and it's just, it's been a great journey. Well, that was an amazing story and thank you so much for sharing it. I really appreciate all the detail and um, all the experiences that you went through just growing up with uh, all your, I'm assuming spirit guides that you had. Um, and I'm assuming they still follow you today, that they had some influence on you on what you do today. Um, when you were growing up within the Native community itself, was there, um, how was the reception to you um, developing your abilities with them? Was it received re really well when you were in well, the community? Well, I am Mi'kmaq, but I've never, I never, like I went to school with the Mi'kmaq guys, like, because uh, I went to school in, uh, in uh, Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. And it was probably mixed between Mi'kmaq people and Caucasian people and other ethnicities. But I never actually grew up on the reserve. I never did. My mom was Mi'kmaq, came from Newfoundland. My even my grandma, when she was born, there was no reserves in Newfoundland. You know, she was born prior to even Newfoundland even being part of Canada. And there was like different Mi'kmaq communities, but there was no reserves. And my grandma uh, moved off reserve, married a Caucasian fellow. Uh, had 16 children, my mom being the oldest, and, uh, and you know, grew up in a small fishing community in, in Newfoundland. And my mom moved to Nova Scotia, married my dad, who was Métis, um, you know, from out west. And, and then my dad never lived in an in indigenous community, nor did and nor have I. But, and I. And I didn't even, was even really connected to my culture. And because my mom didn't have her culture, my grandmom didn't have her culture, I remember even when my grandma, before she passed, she had unfortunately dementia. But I, my grand, I, I, I would be trying to teach my grandma Mi'kmaq, 
and I don't know that much Mi'kmaq. I do my best, but I'm still learning. And she, you know, she would hear hear certain words and remember, but not not very much. And which was so sad because that there was a, there was a there was a disconnect. You know, probably in the last 100, 150 years with the Mi'kmaq people and losing their language, losing their culture, and being disconnected from their community. And um, so I never actually grew up on the reserve, although I went to school with all the, you know, some Mi'kmaq guys and who I was friends with and who I'm still friends with today. Um, but, you know, you know, when I was 19 years old, I, I left Nova Scotia and moved to Calgary, Alberta. That's where I met my my partner. And even then I didn't live on a reserve. So the community that I was connected to, I've been disconnected from for most of my life. So when I came back home and I, and I did transfer back home uh, as I worked as a mail carrier for some time. And I was kind of joked that I deliver paper messages by day and spirit messages by night, but uh, I became reconnected to my, my people. And I wanted to connect more and learn more about my indigenous culture and connection. Cause I'd already started, it, I never received training from anybody. I received training from spirit. Spirit's been teaching me the language of spirit, I call it. Hence, I have a book called The Language of Spirit. But I think I've been learning this language my whole life. And it's, it's but I've been now incorporating my culture with the language of spirit. And I feel they, they kind of marry really well together because the, the culture, indigenous culture, that is something I'm proud of and something I'm happy to be connected with. And since joining my now, because I, I, I don't have any, no, nothing against Christianity. I do believe there was a man that lived 2000 years ago. I'm sure healed people and did miracles. I mean, there's freaking people doing it today. I can't, there's definitely, if they could do it today, they can do it back then. And uh, there's great teachers even today. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't lean to that, that, that type of faith system anymore. I, I lean more to my culture for my spiritual connection. First, through ser different ceremonies and things like that. And, and, and I, don't, I don't teach ceremony in anything that I do. And I honor the ceremonies that I attend when I'm there, because that's why I'm there, to, to connect the spirit in through those ceremonies, whether it's a sweat, a pipe ceremony, a talking circle, whatever it may be. Uh, it's part of who I am. But it doesn't, it, it, it's, I'm not psychic because of all those things. But the more I learn about my culture and who I am as an Indigenous person, I learn more about how the Indigenous people have been connected to the spirit and it's been, it's, it's, it's part of their culture. You know, whether it is a pipe ceremony or whatever, I mean, we're talking to the creator, we're talking to the ancestors, to the grandfathers, the grandmothers, the, we're, we're talking to, to spirit all the time. We're inviting spirit to be part of our life in, in their ceremonies. And uh, I feel to me, it, being the person I am and that I've, that I've become, because spirit intended this through me to come into the world. Um, and now that I learned about my culture, I've, it's something that I really very proud of and I'm happy that I'm, I finally am able to learn a lot about who I am as an indigenous person, not just as a spirit.
in, in, you know, in having a human experience. But as I moved back home to Nova Scotia, the indigenous community, um, I, and like, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have too many connections to people. I, I, I spoke to spirit. I didn't even know how to smudge like eight, nine years ago. I didn't, I didn't know how to smudge myself. I didn't know what a smudging ceremony was or properly how it was done. But a ghost, or actually was a spirit who was earthbound, who was an indigenous man, taught me. And it was on McNabb's Island in Nova Scotia that I was doing a paranormal investigation. And when I went to this island, I went there to do, because I was learning these levels of spirit, um, I went to help these two uh, earthbound spirits to see if I could help them move into the light. And I made a connection. We were in this like tunnel under the ground that there's no sound, wind, nothing, no outside noises. And, uh, and I was trying to help these two men who wouldn't talk to me. And then this big ball of white light floated down from the ceiling and then shoved me really hard. And I could feel his hand push me. And he said something to me in Mi'kmaq. And I know very, very little, but I, kn I knew that he spoke to me in Mi'kmaq. And then the whole room that I was in filled with the scent of burning sweet grass. And it, it smelled like sweet grass and sage and the whole nine yards. And it was like you could feel the energy of the spirit going through the room in a circular motion. And then he came up behind me and pushed me really hard again. And I felt like his grip of his hand even. He came up and he spoke to me right in my ear and said something Mi'kmaq. And then he went right through the ceiling again. And the two spirits that I was trying to help, gone. It's like, what the heck just happened here? And that, that was the moment that made me realize that spirit was guiding me to my culture again in connection to spirit. So I prayed about it. I said, you know, creator, my, my guides, my ancestors, please send me someone that I can connect to who's going to teach me or help me learn about who I am as an indigenous person. Help me learn the smudge that that, that spirit used to clear those, those earthbound spirits into the light. And uh, so I did a charity event here in Nova Scotia. And the charity event was for the Beath House at that time. They had asked me to come to do a charity event. They would sell tickets and the money went to this, uh, to the Beath House, which was, uh, it, it, it's a place for children that can be housed when there's like issues with the family where they can't be with the family. Or to facilitate somebody who has a court order against them that has to have visitation rights with their children, but they have to be supervised. So I did, I thought it was a good place to, to volunteer some time and do a, a group session. And I read a lady in the front row and her name was Kathy Martin. And she was, I didn't know who she was, honest to God. And, uh, and because I, I just go and they sold the tickets and I came and I did my thing and I read her and I talked to her about, um, you know, when I connected to her, I know she came there to connect to her son, but what came through was about four indigenous people uh, from up in Cape Breton that were murdered and disappeared. And that came through and they showed me where they were and told me what happened to them. And I said, you, they're connected to somebody named Joe. And um, she goes, I met Joe yesterday and he told me this story. I said, well, tell Joe if he wants to know where his, grand, great, his grandparents are and his great aunt and uncle, I know where they are because I've never found their remains. So that was it. I mean, because I barely remember my sessions typically. 
because they come in my mind, they come through me and I do my thing. And, and, but that one kind of stuck out because you don't really connect the spirit where they tell you a story about four missing and murdered Aboriginal people. And this has happened like, you know, maybe like 70 years ago, like a long time ago. So I went about my merry old life and months had gone by and Kathy calls me because she says, I, you know, I have somebody that wants to meet you. I'm like, okay. And so this elder comes to my house and he knocks on my door. He goes, I heard you want to learn about smudging. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'd really like to learn about my culture. I would like to learn about smudging because I'm here to teach you. My name's Joe. I'm like, oh, hi, Joe. And he came in and he showed me like, you know, a smudging ceremony, talked to me about the medicines, talked to me about the four directions. He was giving me indigenous teachings. And then, um, you know, much later, which is a long story down the road, but uh, he eventually ended up giving me an eagle wing and gifted it to me. That was his, that was passed down to him from someone else. And uh, so that was, this is when I just trusted spirit. Because even though with indigenous culture, I wanted to learn. I asked spirit to send the right person to me. I asked spirit to send me a person to help me learn. And he was the first stepping block in that journey, like probably nine years ago or so. And it's just been unfolding then. I've met so many, many elders and many people since then. And, uh, and I feel because of, because of who I am and what I've been doing, because I do it with like kindness, love, compassion, and I'm out there serving people to the best of my ability in many ways that I feel welcomed by my community. I feel that my community is proud of me and I feel they encourage me. I feel, do I feel like some of them are skeptical? Freaking sure I am right there. <laughs> but you know what, when they meet me and I say something or I connect to something that no one could possibly know, that all fades away. Then they know that I'm like legitimately authentic. It's not, you can't fake it. It's real. And you know, that's how I feel now. I just feel welcomed by my community. And I, and I'm, I'm grateful for spirit for sending me that, that first elder and, and many other elders have come into my life since then of all the different things that I've, I've learned or the ceremonies I've been part of. And, and uh, I mean, I'm still learning. I wouldn't, I would never ever say that I'm like any type of like uh, indigenous expert by any means. I'm, I'm probably going to be learning my whole life. Yeah, I think we're all learning our whole life. I think it's our whole path that we have to walk down our guides and elders and everybody in our communities, not just your community, but like our community as well, that, you know, everybody that we meet on our path is guiding us in some way. Um, let's skip uh, topics here a little bit and uh, start talking about your show just before we let you go. Um, but thank you again so much for joining us here. It's been amazing having you tell your stories and uh, share your wisdom with us here today. Um, how did your show come about? Just quickly describe um, how it came to be. Oh, that's funny. Well, I do, I do the show uh, Spirit Talker for APTN. And um, way back in the day, um, I thought about doing a, a TV show. But I really didn't put too much thought into it. Really, honest to God, I did not. I didn't think that much about it. Um, as I grew in recognition of who I am as a spirit talker and a psychic medium here in Nova Scotia, I had the opportunity to work with another medium uh, from Boston, Massachusetts, who is named John Holland. 
And uh, so John had, we had set up a tour together where he came to Nova Scotia and we went to Nova Scotia and New Brunswick where we toured together. And um, because, so normally I, I, I like, I would probably like me back in the day before I met John, I was like 180, 190 people would come see me at a show. But when John came, 600 people came. <laughs> and one of those people that came was uh, named Donna Gabriel. And she saw me at the show and she went back and talked to her boss who works for a company called Telltale Productions and said, you should meet this guy, John Leonard. And uh, I think he, he might be great for a show. And, uh, but I didn't know she had said this. She never spoke to me about it. She never called me. And she talked to this guy named Ed Pyle from the, the owner of Telltale Productions. So the, the tie-in here, which is kind of cool, is at, they were filming a show here in Nova Scotia called The Curse of Oak Island. And I had a friend who worked with the Union of Actors. And I called her, and her name was Jessica. And I said, Jessica, I'd really like to go out to Oak Island and meet some of those people out there. Is there any way you could, like, tell me who I could speak to? Because I would just love to get out there and just, like, vibe out or whatever and stuff like this. And she goes, well, I know there's an Ed Pyle that is co-producing the show with Prometheus, which is an American company. She goes, I have his number. Just hold on. I'll give it to you. You give him a call and see if you can go to Ghana. And he might be able to get you out there. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, I hang up with her. I call. And I said, uh, and Ed picks up. He goes, um, who are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm Sean Leonard. He said, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm Sean Leonard. He goes, this is the craziest, weirdest thing. Donna Gabriel came into my office yesterday and was telling me I should call you. Did she call you and tell you to call me? I'm like, no, I'm actually calling you for something totally different. He goes, you should, I'm calling you to see if I can go to Oak Island. He goes, well, I'm pretty sure I can get you out there. He goes, do you ever think about doing a TV show? I'm like, well, I did, but not really, you know, that hard. And I said, I do have an idea. And he goes, what's your idea? I said, I have always wanted to do a show about searching for missing and murdered Aboriginal people. And I said, I, I've actually worked with the Halifax police on different cases here in Nova Scotia. Um, maybe I would like to do a show with different, um, you know, whether it's the RCMP or local police departments across the country where I would be working with them in some sense. And I said, it would be really good to show what's being done and not being done. And I'll give them information, hopefully that will lead them to like solving or giving more information to a case. I wouldn't be able to name people on TV because if I do, that's slander and I could get myself in big trouble. And he goes, yeah, there's a gray area there. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I really, I think it'd be really good. At least I going out there, giving information and then whether they act on it or not, we can even show that part of the show. And I thought that would be a great idea. He goes, you know what, I'm going to call APTN. I think they would be ideal to host a show like that. And I'll see if they're interested. And uh, so he called them and they said, no, we actually have another show called Missing. And uh, your show would conflict with that one. And there's a gray area there about naming people on TV about stuff. And he said, we're really nervous about that. Do you do anything else? I said, well, I do live shows. And he goes, yeah, Donna told me about your live show with John Holland. She said, you were really good. I said, well, I do live shows and I read people in an audience format. And uh, I said, maybe you could record one of my live shows and, you know, we could go from there. He goes, that's a great idea. We'll actually record one of your shows. 
we'll, we'll set one up. Is there a community, like an indigenous community, like a Mi'kmaq community nearby that you would like to go to? I said, well, let's, let's go to Listowish, Quebec, because I was, I was just going to go up there anyway. And he goes, well, we'll set it up that you go up there. And then what we'll do is you, you read people in the audience. We'll pick a couple of people from the show. You do a personal session with them. And then we'll take little snippets and we'll send it to AP10 and see if they like it. So AP10 said, well, we'll fund that pilot. And so that's what happened. I went to Listigouche, Quebec, uh, an Enigma First Nation community. I did live readings. Uh, I, I did probably like 13 to 15 different readings in a live format. They picked two of them. They filmed, uh, you know, the 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 one-on-one -on -one sessions and they filmed the live show and they sent it off to AP10 and they said, AP10 said, we want the show. And they funded 13 episodes. And that's how the first season of Spirit Talker came out. And I just finished in November season two. Yes. For your show, sir, for interrupting. Um, how are people actually selected to be actually uh, for the second portion besides the crowd? Well, on the, because I do live uh, readings, what I do is I come to a community and people show up to the community. Um, and when they come into the show, I do my show and read them live. And I, nobody knows who's going to be read or nothing like that. I don't know who's sitting where or nothing like that. It's just, I'm reading them. These are people from the community. And you can speak to, uh, you can speak to the whole community if they collaborate with anybody in any way they have not. And uh, so I read them. And then the production company at the show goes, well, they pick a top three. We like these three readings the most because of the story content of what you said or, or that, uh, that uh, shocking aha thing that you said to that person. And so we're going to call them and see, you know, if they would come back for one-on-one -on -one sessions. So that's what the production company does. They pick their top three. I do not pick their top three. They do. And then they come and sit with me and then I read them further on a one-on-one -on -one session to further the information that came through at the live show for that person to see if there's like more information that will come forward in some way. And uh, as the show uh, premises on TV, they take snippets from the live show, they take snippets from the in-person session and very small little portion actually gets put on TV because the show, you know, I, I feel my, my, my live show is two hours long. And then they actually, you only pick three readings and only two get highlighted on the show. Because out of those three one-on-one -on -one readings I do, they only pick two of them. They want to hedge their bets in case, like, you know, one's terrible. But, I mean, they're all good in my opinion, but they just want to make sure that they, they, they pick their two favorite, right? And, uh, and that's what happens. And this year, because COVID-19, unfortunately, there was no way to do a live show. So I went to 13 uh, Indigenous communities in the Atlantic provinces, again, except Newfoundland. And um, that the community members had an opportunity to put their name in for a draw. So they contacted the production company and people at the production company then would draw from a hat the name so it would be random. And then they would call that person and then have them show up uh, to meet me. And when they show up to meet me, it would be when they sit in front of me is the first time I've met them uh, ever. So I would sit there and read them. And uh, for this season, I did four uh, sessions, four hour long sessions. And they usually only highlight one and a half to two <laughs> for the show. But that's that's TV world, right? So they, they, they get a lot of extra material, but only put on uh, a little bit of it actually on TV.
No, that sounds great. Uh, we are both wondering that ourselves, how that process is done behind the scenes. So thank you for letting us know how that process worked. Um, just before we let you go here today, uh, do you have anything coming up that you're working on that you want to uh, promote? Maybe uh, talk about your book a little bit or something? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my book, The Language of Spirit, you can go to my website, sean-leonard.com, and there's a link to Amazon or, or, or um, Indigo Chapters on there. So whatever uh, site you wish to purchase from, you can buy it there. Um, I'm going to write a new book. I do have an online course called Spirit Talker Tribe, where I actually help people develop their intuitive psychic abilities in, uh, through a whole year uh, course. And uh, this year, I got a year one, year two, and a year three uh, level of people and this year I'm, I have 650 students or something like this so it's like awesome like I I get to connect and help uh, people learn about developing uh, and growing as a spirit themselves so that they can make spirit connections because instead of coming to someone feel like they need to come to me that they can they can connect to themselves they can connect to spirit and they can explore spirit themselves rather than going to someone to have some type of proof given to them that they experience this connection to spirit themselves, which is firsthand. And I think if we all become more connected to spirit and, you know, walk in our life that way, you know, you're going to change your own life rather than feeling like you have to go to someone to, I mean, it's great that you come to me for a live show or, or that I, I read some people sometimes, but I feel it's always best that you have an, a personal connection to spirit instead of, thinking that you just have to go to someone else to get that connection to spirit, that you can speak to spirit, that you can meditate, that you can have experiences, that you can be clairvoyant, clairsentient, clairaudient, claircognant, clairambient, all of the clairs that you can experience these too. If you're open to it, you invite spirit that you're part of it, but also knowing how to deal with the different levels of energy, especially with like, you know, knowing the difference between, you know, a lower level energy spirit that is more earthbound or somebody is coming from the light and helping people distinguish that difference and being able to communicate in a way, or even, you know, when you run into an earthbound spirit, like help them, they're people, they're lost. I mean, there's physical people lost in life. I mean, there's some spirits out there lost too. help them and give them the tools so that they can help them, hopefully transition them into the light as well. No, that sounds wonderful. Sounds like you have a lot of things lined up for later on coming down the road. So, uh, sounds wonderful for you. And again, thank you so much, Sean, for taking time out, joining us here today on Haunted Live. Uh, also, Chris is here with us and me, Trevor, for being here today on Haunted Live Podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And uh, watch uh, Spirit Talk for Season 2 and AP10 coming out in the fall. Yes, uh, we're definitely looking forward to the show. Uh, we're big fans of the show ourselves and uh, we'll be watching for sure. So again, thank you for joining us and have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right, that was uh, Sean Leonard, everybody, and um, we want to thank him again for joining us here on Haunting Live Podcast. Uh, amazing guest, and uh, wonderful to have him share his stories about how he uh, grew up and became medium and some of his experiences that he shared with us, especially on the uh, Native community side. So we appreciate that so, so much. It was wonderful having him as a guest, and um, we're just going to talk a little bit here before we let everybody go here today. We have a few announcements here at Haunted Life Podcast, as always. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you notice there's a bit of a difference. Uh, Chris is here today helping host the show. Usually he's on the chat side of things, so we want to try 
something a little bit different today. Um, Chris and I are both fans of our guest today, and we want to both be the host and uh, asking questions together rather than just one person doing it. So if you guys like this type of format, uh, let us know. Uh, we can do this in the future again for something different and uh, keep things fresh. Um, just let us know how you found the uh, double host of the show this week. Um, otherwise, uh, on our website, we have revamped our whole entire merch section page. If you don't know, besides the podcast, we do sell merchandise, uh, anything to do with the uh, paranormal field, we usually sell. Uh, we have things for cleansing, we have crystals, uh, we have handmade uh, crafted items that Chris makes, including bags, crystal trees, and um, earrings and jewelry as well now. So you can check that out too on our website. With that, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, appreciate you guys following the social media. As always, we encourage you to try to share our work a little bit more and try to get our names out there for us. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll continue to post more posts on our Facebook and social media for you guys as well. But don't forget, um, one last mention, the crystal sale is going on on our website right now. If you need any crystals, anything for uh, cleansings, anything like that, we do have some special items on sale right now at half off. So that's up until next Saturday. So check it out on our webpage under merch. But from Chris and I, thank you guys for tuning in and happy hauntings. Subscribe.